Hi, I'm Jesse. And I'm Forrest. And this is The Crosscut, a podcast that contextualizes the news of the day with the story, themes, and motifs of a treasured or fabulous piece of cinema. And a little preamble before we get into the news and a movie of this week. Y'all, we've had a hard week. Uh, we've we, had a hard month. We oh. have been uh, recovering from illness. You can probably hear it in my voice. Uh, my Maybe. my throat is scratchy. My nose is stuffed up. I got coughs. Maybe some of my voice from, I mean, definitely last yeah. week, a little bit left over from this week. Yeah. And uh, our, our son Cassius has been at home this entire week so far. Uh, went to school today, finally. But like, it has been... Been a lot. It's been a lot. Uh, we've been we've been working through it, uh, but you know it is uh, it's a whole thing. So you may hear us in background on the microphones alternating drinks of water, tea, and wine. We're very uh, hydrated. We, well, we're something. We're, we're going to be hydrated. We are trying to figure out how to cope with life. Uh, so bear with us. But uh, yeah, I brought in I brought in <laughs> tea. And my glass of wine that I'm finishing because it's the end of the day and, and I'm just, I'm having a little bit of wine and my water and forest with his tea and wine said, hmm, got a bunch of drinks over there. I was very judgmental. And then two minutes later, went up and got himself a cup of water. Well, it's funny because I went to drink my, my tea because I was parched and uh-huh. I was I was like, well, I will just drink some tea. It's too hot. It's too it hot. It does not cool your mouth at all. all. Of the drinks, it does not refresh you. All of the drinks that I have yeah. near me they have a different purpose. Do different things. Yeah, yeah. You know what, but, sweetheart? Mm-hmm. It's not the first time nor the last time I'll say this in our relationship. But you were right. Yes. <laughs> now, Thank I, you. now it's on the internet. So <laughs> just go ahead and play that back to yourself every time. Every time I'm wrong. All uh, the drinks. All the drinks. Yes, but uh, fortunately, we have a, a bit of good news, bad news in the, the episode today. Oh. The bad news is the news. Right, And the right. good news is the movie. Sure. So, you know, as often turns out, uh, we're going to cover something that's uh, maybe a little disturbing, uh, a little bit upsetting, uh, but we're going to try and put that in the context of the film, which I think we both ha- saw for the first time, or had you seen it before? No, I had definitely seen this okay, before. Okay, right on. Right Quite on. a bit. Yeah, no, this is a... Wait, because we were talking about what movie we were going to do, and you said you hadn't seen it, and I was like, oh, "Okay, all right, you have to see this movie." So well then, well then, so I did, and now so here we now are. Now you have. Uh, so, without further ado, uh, shall we get into it? Let's do it. Tens of thousands were left without power in North Carolina's Moore County after two power substations were damaged by gunfire, authorities said Sunday, December the 4th. Power may not be fully restored until as late as Thursday, so today, Mm -hmm. in real time when we're recording this, an official from Duke Energy warned. Now, you may be asking yourself, Forrest, Jesse, on this Mm -hmm. podcast, you normally cover much more interesting stories than a power outage. And sure, this power outage was due to gunfire, but what would possibly cause you to think that this was worth your time and energy today? Well, you know that the majority of guns are owned by very stable people. (laughs) Well, we can do a gun control episode later. Uh, (laughs) But let's just say that the key here Mm -hmm. is the investigation that occurred. And what it led to after this, uh, the gunfire knocked out the power stations. So authorities investigated social posts on mm-hmm. Facebook claiming knowledge of the Moore County blackout. A woman who vehemently and repeatedly 
protested a drag show being scheduled in Southern Pines, an area of Moore County, Mm -hmm. claims that deputies questioned her in regard to the mass power outages in the county after she posted on social media that she knows why the outage happened. Now, let's let's just take a step back from Mm -hmm. all the political rigmarole here. (laughs) And let's just say, ladies and gentlemen, if you if you have knowledge of a crime that has been committed, don't go on Facebook and post that you know why the crime happened. Unless you're trying to get the information out there, right? Like, uh, if you had done the crime, don't go online. If you if you That's say rhyme. if you say a crime had happened to me, please help me find the right. person who did it. Sure, right. Do your thing. But like, if if you're going online to imply that you did the crime, or that you know the person who did the crime and you're an accomplice, maybe. Shush your bigoted mouth. Maybe hush. Maybe just live with that hatred in your heart. Keep it inside. Lock it in there. So, the individual in question is a woman by the name of Emily Grace Rainey. Pop quiz, what color is she? The color of spoiled mayonnaise. Yes, it is. In fact, so Emily Grace Rainey is a former U.S. Army psychological operations officer, and she made several posts about the incident on social media, even saying in one post, quote, the power is out in Moore County, and I know why. This is literally (laughs) the kind of thing that, like, the Mystery Gang, like Mysteries, Inc., would stumble upon in the Scooby-Doo thing. It's like, this is the dumbest clue. I... I mean, so, okay. Well, first of all, how far away is Moore County from where we are? So, like, outside of Raleigh? Yeah, there are two counties in between us and Moore County, but it's really only, like, an hour's drive. So you have Wake County, which is where we are. Yeah. In between us and Moore County, there's, like, Chatham County and, I think, like, Lee County or something like that. Uh, And those two are actually, like, kind of weirdly sort of gerrymandered almost in, in like, a weird sort of... (laughs) Yeah, right? Um, They're just, like, weirdly constructed. But if you drove straight, It'd basically be an hour from here until. Moore are they County. constructed so that all of the black people in the area are in one county, and all of the white people and conservatives are in another county? I mean, so yeah, kind of. Yeah. yeah. Okay. But but it's mostly like Wake County contains all of the liberals, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and Chatham County does as well because that's um. You mean Woke County? <laughs> there it is. <laughs> uh, I think Chatham County does as well. So does Orange County, which is where Chapel Hill is. But mm-hmm. but largely they sort of wrangled us in and then outside of outside of that more county would be where your you know your more conservatives are i gotcha all right so uh before the before the drag show mm-hmm. rainy had apparently posted on facebook the contact information of the sponsors uh this may be considered by some to be doxing mm-hmm. um and also implored others to voice their opinions saying quote you know what to do So whether these actions taken by her on Facebook are criminal is yet to be determined. Um, She had been contacted by the sheriff of the county, whom we will get to in just a second. But there is also currently an FBI investigation underway. I mean, I would imagine... (laughs) See, I didn't know how the... You had mentioned something about a power outage. Didn't know that the lady had shot it mm-hmm. or i'm sorry or, it, or had been shot it had by been shot a by someone yeah that's right or whatever um did not realize that it had been shot at um by some high caliber rifle yep high caliber rifle yeah maybe like a well no i was gonna say 
a high caliber rifle, like one owned by somebody who used to be in the military, but you actually don't need any kind of military training to own a high caliber rifle, do you? No, like you can just buy an AR-15 from go the, to Walmart yeah, or, or wherever they sell them anymore. Yeah. Yep. Cool. 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 Yep. So the, the takeaway from this, and, and before we get into more of sort of about this person, mm-hmm. I think I, I would like to make mention of sort of the impact that this had right on, on the people. Cause I think that oftentimes in a lot of the stories that I have looked at um, sort of goes, you know, unsaid a lot of times. Mm-hmm. Um, and so here is just a, a, an account from somebody who lived through this. So uh, before their power came back online yesterday, which is Wednesday of this week, some residents recalled the experience of being without power for four, four full days. Um, Southern Pines resident Diane Castaldo said, it's horrible. I've never gone through something like this. I'm handicapped. I use a walker. She went on to say, I've been blessed. I was very upset with no electric, but once we were feeding other people, it made me happy that I was able to help in some way. Um, someone else went on to say that I'm helping out today because I want to be with the people who need help and I want to help the community. Um, and then others went on to say, you know, it's a little vulnerable having to uh, come ask, can I have a shower? Can I have food? It brings us back to a place of being okay, reaching out to others. So a lot of people in the community were doing what people in communities do in circumstances like this, where they try to find the good, right? Mm-hmm. But we're talking about 40,000 people who were without power for four days. Many right. of those people relied on electricity for medical care, yeah. had to use generators to provide the life-saving or life-sustaining care that they need. Talking about people who couldn't go without hot showers, people who couldn't cook food for themselves, it was it was a, a massive um, undertaking for a large amount of people to deal with this because one or a group of people were so bigoted that they thought shooting a bunch of Transformers was the way to stop a drag show. It feels very much like the just dumbest version of the community pool problem. Yes, that's right. Rather than share the pool with black people, we will fill it in with concrete. We'll Rather drain than, the pool and close the pool, down yeah. the YMCA or whatever, right? right? Like we would rather we would rather this group of people that we dislike yeah. um, go without and will also go without just so we make sure that that happens. Yeah. And, and not only that, so <laughs> if their goal was to, to, to knock the power out, to stop this drag show from a purely tactical perspective, that didn't even work. It didn't even work. The drag show went on. Yeah. Yeah. So organizers of the show said that for weeks, Far-right activists had tried to shut down the event. They responded to threats of violence. They ramped up security for Saturday's events, both with private security and with the Southern Pines Police Department monitoring the event. Um, the the drag artist from Durham, who had sort of led this, mm-hmm. uh, Naomi Dix, hosted the drag show and said that despite the power outages, the stage still shined with the light. When the lights went out, Dix asked the sold out crowd to illuminate the room with their cell phones. And she led them in singing Halo by Beyonce. So everyone sang, everyone provided lights. It was a really nice community moment. I'm getting goosebumps and tears. (laughs) And so Naomi Dix uh, provided the quote, you know, it was a beautiful moment, right? So, so. uh, So the who's down in who's bill. That's exactly it. Still sang. That's exactly it. So the Grinches uh, were were foiled, foiled mm-hmm. uh, by just a few cell phone lights, flashlights. Like it's it is bizarre. It's bizarre that people who are so bigoted would not only be maybe I'm wrong about saying it's bizarre, but it's just 
wild to me that they would be so bigoted and so incompetent at the same time. No, but, it's not that wild. Not that wild? No, right. I, I, I get it. That sounds like the exact right amount of bigoted and incompetence that you would expect from somebody like this person. Yeah. I, I mean, I don't know. I guess I'm just not surprised by the, how both uh, ignorant and dumb and bigoted and terrible people can be after 2016 and everything that's happened since. But look, I will acknowledge there are things in North Carolina uh-huh. that I personally would like to shut down. Hypothetically, let's say Duke basketball. Right. If I were going to create a plan uh-huh. to stop the Duke basketball program from playing basketball, I might want to at least ensure that they were unable to play basketball at the end of my plan. You know? Right. Right. Like, right. like I, I'm not sure. I, I don't know that I would say, aha, I will cut out the power to Cameron Indoor Stadium. And then they would just say, oh, well, we'll, we'll play in the, the backup gym that we have across the street where we practice. It's like, well, well, damn it. <laughs> I should have thought that through. <laughs> right. Well, I mean, you know, I guess the here is the the silver lining to all of this. Yeah. At least the only thing that got shot up by these absolute monsters was electrical equipment. Right. I mean, that's true. That is true. Also, we probably could have done the movie Transformers. <laughs> <laughs> But slightly different. (laughs) I don't think you can make me watch that movie again. Yeah. uh, I've only seen the first one, I think. Yeah, I saw the first one and it was enough. Yeah. Bumblebee's good, though. If anyone wants to watch Bumblebee, it's actually good. We could stop there. Okay. And and, and we could talk just about the incidents that occurred, the people who overcame it. Um, Is there more? There's a little more. Okay. So the sheriff in Moore County is a guy by the name of Ronnie Fields. Mm -hmm. He told WRAL News that the outage was being investigated as a, quote, criminal occurrence, but he did not say specifically what was done to damage the substations, so he wouldn't comment on the fact that it was gunfire, even though that was... How, how do we know it was gunfire, then? Because they've... I mean, it was later confirmed by others um, that there were bullets in the substation. Okay. Uh, he would not confirm whether the sheriff's office has connected that vandalism to the drag show or any suspects. They did, however, pay a visit to Rainey, the, the woman in question. Okay. <sighs> And here's where things get a little bit odd. Mm-hmm. So Rainey posted about her meeting with the police. God works in mysterious ways. I use the opportunity to tell them about the immoral drag show and the blasphemies screamed by its supporters. So not about the crime that was committed that knocked out power for 40,000 people in right. Moore County. No, just about the quote unquote immoral drag show. Mm-hmm. After the power went out, Rainey posted a picture of the marquee where the drag show was scheduled to take place, claiming that God was, quote, chastising Moore County. Because God is very specific about the county that he focuses on I didn't cutting know. a drag show. By the way, by the way. God owns a high-powered rifle. God is a big gun fan. Yeah. <laughs> All, but, but, but. As the Bible states. I mean, but also God says, look, drag shows in Moore County, reprehensible. Drag shows everywhere else in New York, California, Florida, in, you know, Chicago, any other city, fine. Totally fine. Didn't get shot up today. It is kind of like when people pray to God for their uh for their like sports team to mm-hmm. win. And it's like, you know that there are people praying to God 
on the other team too, right? Yeah, but we just got to pray harder because our God is the right one. God doesn't care about your team more than the other teams. God is a Green Bay Packers He fan. doesn't care about this county more than other counties. That doesn't it's, make any sense. It doesn't at all. So... And also you did it as a person, a human person. <laughs> you, if any, if there is a God, which jury is still out, but if there is a God, God has given us free will and you have to make the decisions that you make and then suffer the consequences from those, right? Like if lightning struck the place right at, like struck their power lines right as the show was set to go on and the only people who were affected were the was the you know the participants business the yeah. and the participants that were going to happen and the, the event was stopped then then okay I, maybe fine, you have a case fine right right but but if at any if anything you're just saying that God hates the forty thousand people in your county because they have to put up with your dumbass right yep okay yep so anyway getting back to the sheriff uh, sheriff field said that Rainey's posts on social media were quote false. So it seems like he's providing her a little bit of cover her here. Her own posts were false. Yes. And he didn't elaborate on what that meant. Um, and he says, while they did speak with her, um, they determined her social posts were, quote, not credible. He also iterated the importance of not making false posts during the time of an emergency. I don't know what that means. So this is where it gets weird, right? Mm. What is the What is this sheriff doing in this commentary where he's like saying her posts were not accurate she was posting in in jest or something or making false posts during an emergency he it seems as though he's trying to protect her somehow sounds like a real dullard of a sheriff hey we'll get there (laughs) hold on everybody uh and and so thankfully in this particular instance twitter still exists uh it has not been destroyed yet and so what do we see? We see Miss mm-hmm. um, mm-hmm. Rainey hugging up real nice and tight with the sheriff of Moore County. Oh, that's the guy? That's the guy. Ugh. So I'll post a, a link to this this tweet, and you can see the picture of this this uh, sheriff snuggling up with... A, the, she genuinely looks like uh, the lady from Gone Girl. He genuinely looks... Oh, I'm going to say a, a bad thing. Go ahead. <laughs> he just... He, like, if you put a little curly tail... And some little like triangle ears above uh-huh. his head and a little circle in the middle of his face. He looks like the mascot for a barbecue place. Here's the thing. <laughs> I don't like calling cops pigs because I don't think that is fair. Uh, that's not nice. That's not a thing. But like if there were a person who were transformed from a porcine animal <laughs> by a magical wizard. That that would be this person? That w- That would be this person, man. I don't know. He is a big old, big old dude who um, it seems to be very enamored uh, with this young woman who, at the very least, has sympathy for the people who committed this act, if not direct connections to them. Here is why I make that caveat. Mm. Last little bit of information about this lady. The beginning of the COVID-19 lockdowns in 2020, Mm -hmm. Ms. Rainey made news for taking down yellow tape around swings and slides at a closed playground in Southern Pines so her children could play. Okay. So you remember we quarantined off like public spaces so that we didn't spread a deadly virus. Right. She says, no, no, no. I will simply just break the law, pull these down and let my kids play. 
Mm-hmm. Um, the Southern Pines police at that point charged her with injury to personal property. In 2021, Rainey was investigated by the army. Now, 2021, let me scratch my head a little bit. Why does that seem familiar? Why would the army do an investigation of people? What happened? Let me give you a little more. Let me give you a hint. Mm. For leading a group of people from North Carolina to a rally in Washington. Oh, no. That led up to the deadly riot in the U.S. Capitol by supporters of then-President Donald Trump. That's right. A January 6th participant, Emily Rainey, snuggled up nice and close to the sheriff of Moore County, who then went on to dismiss the severity of her social media posts and, last little bit, Mm. in questioning her before any questioning at all, decided that it would be a good idea to take a knee and pray with her. Yep. I mean, pray all you want, but like, I don't, uh, you know? Well, so here is the thing. I'm not saying the FBI are good guys. No. But it is, if you're going to have corrupt forces, then having other forces that may or may not be corrupt in their own different ways (laughs) to also serve as a stopgap yes against those like to just have a a, a double layer the of, of investigation yes the the fbi is certainly responsible for putting people in jail who don't deserve to be in jail because jail is a thing that we shouldn't be putting people in anyway however they are certainly not as racist homophobic and corrupt as local sheriffs like genuinely some of the worst most this deplorable dude, people this dude again this dude is just like the picture yeah. that every like punk rock teenager would just point to. And yes, I just... yes, yes, <sighs> yes. So uh, we went into Moore County specifically. We went into this lady specifically. I will end this with just a couple of points. Okay. The new story, a couple okay. of points. This is not limited to Moore County. Okay. So um, on Tuesday night, in investigation of this particular case, Uh, The local news station CBS 17 learned that North Carolina is not the only state to see intentional attacks against critical infrastructure. There was a memo obtained from federal law enforcement describing similar situations in both Oregon and Washington, experiencing, quote, physical attacks on substations using hand tools, arson, firearms, and metal chains, possibly in response to an online call for attacks on critical infrastructure. All right, so we're seeing the exact same tactics mm-hmm. used across the country. What could it possibly be that is promoting these attacks? Well, in Texas, there is a website called defendkidstx.com. And you can report drag shows in that field and they will you know, do whatever they do to prevent those drag shows from taking place or to protest them or to cause havoc for people who are there. By the way, that form is unsecured, and you can type anything that you want into that form. So, what is the I, URL again? I'm not advocating that people go to defendkidstx.com and type in malarkey into that form over and over and over again and flood it with useless information. But if you mm. did happen to go to defendkidstx.com and type in, you know, the entire text of Moby Dick, they might have to read that before they could go on to process their hateful and bigoted speech, you know, that comes in from from awful people in Texas. So I'm just saying defendkidstx.com might be a website that you'd be interested in checking out. Or not, you know. Or not, yeah. 
Um, in addition to that, in Columbus, Ohio, um, there was a police chief who actually defended an officer who was seen high-fiving a member of the Proud Boys during their quote-unquote protest of a drag show. Now, the drag show was canceled over security concerns um, because the local police refused to provide security for the event. Right. But even though the event was canceled, 50 right-wing protesters associated with the Proud Boys dressed in head-to-toe combat gear and fully armed weaponry uh, descended on the neighborhood, even though the drag show was was not going to be taking place. Cool. And then finally, uh, as everyone has probably heard, there was the Club Q shooting in Colorado Springs, Colorado, right. where a suspected gunman uh, was accused of killing five people in a mass shooting at an LGBTQ nightclub. The the individual has been charged with 305 counts, including first-degree murder, attempted first-degree murder, assault, and bias-motivated crimes with bodily injury. So we are seeing the right wing of America do the thing that they always do, which is lash out against their lash out for their political failures against people who have cultural differences. This is uh, this is the direct lineage, the direct result of of all of that groomer talk yep. that we saw before, which is a result of all of the like pedophile Pizzagate uh, nonsense Q-Anon. that we saw before that. It is the racist version of Meryl Streep's speech in The Devil Wears Prada about cerulean blue right. and how it trickles down from the, the most obscure places on the runway to the bargain bins of, you know, some big box store and ends up as like, you know, some cerulean blue polyester mm-hmm. sweater, right? This is this is the everyday version of that very curated yep. specific kind of homophobia and anti-trans and anti uh, queer sentiment that that has been sort of percolating, I think, for the past five, six, seven years. Yep. And I, I think you're right to to pin it down to Pizzagate, right? Yeah. Because there was an inflection point. So the there was like that big um, dump of emails from Hillary Clinton's campaign that people kept going through, and it was mostly nonsense and and it was it was like. Uh, a nothing burger in the parlance of those times, right? Mm -hmm. There was nothing really in there that was that interesting. However, because the lunatic fringe on the right had to find something interesting and Hillary Clinton's campaign kept ordering pizza, they just decided, oh, pizza means like sex trafficking children or something like that. Right. And so they started to say, oh, Comet Pizza is a place where they're doing this. In the basement of Comet Pizza, they must be keeping children. So the Democrats are pedophiles. They're keeping children in this basement. We have to blah, blah, blah. And the inflection point was there was a man who went to Comet Pizza with an assault rifle to free the children from the basement. And then it turns out they don't even have a basement. Not even where they're not children there. There's no fucking basement. Right. And it would have been a moment. It would have been a moment for that, for the people who led that lunatic fringe to say, hey, we made a mistake. But they can't do that. They are so far gone outside. They're, they're, they're so far down the rabbit hole outside of any kind of common, normal decency. Right. That they just have to dig further and further into it. And this is where we get. This right. is where we get. Rather than acknowledge the areas in which people are actually grooming young people, um, taking advantage of them, like, I don't know, Representative Matt Gates allegedly, mm-hmm. in Florida, or in uh, certain, like the Catholic Church, or any religious organization where there is a power hierarchy, rather than look into any of that, they're just going to blame their political rivals so they can get capital out of it. And it's sickening and disgusting. It's going to cause, it has caused people their lives and their livelihoods. And it's, it's morbid and morose. And I, I hate it. I hate it so much. 
Yes. Well, so that's that's the news. I'm sorry, everybody. <laughs> well, would you would you believe it or not that uh, the film of the day mm-hmm. was actually originally born out of a response to anti-gay propaganda? Is that right? It was. I did not know that. Tell me more. All right. Well, let's go ahead and I guess get into, let's get into the movie. Let's get into the movie. Our film today is Tu Wong Fu. Thanks for everything. Love, Julie Newmar. And it is, I, I mean, I think just a, one of my favorite films, I think, from, from the 90s. I, it's one of those ones that I, I think was on TBS quite a bit. Because I, I similar to last week when we had Devin on and we were talking about Legally Blonde, I, I genuinely don't recall the beginning of this film because <laughs> I come in like halfway through or like, you know, yeah. a third of the way through or whatever. And so the opening scene to this film was... Uh, just a, a, like a, a nice like reminder. I I just I had just forgotten. Yeah. Um. What that opening scene was. The opening is amazing. And also parallels parallels Legally Blonde. That's it, true. Because it's it's you know a montage of um of of these drag queens putting on their makeup and getting ready. But yeah, the opening scene is is fantastic. Yeah. Uh, Patrick Swayze is. He's a he's a, a smoking hottie. He's he's great and does such a good job in in this film and when you watch interviews with him he is just so sincere and genuine in his love for this role for this film in the job that he wanted to do portraying uh portraying this character yeah and it's interesting like patrick swayze a lot of people are like oh yeah man's man roadhouse right whatever dude was a trained dancer yeah dude like i obviously was in drag in this movie like he is a, is a versatile human being, a wonderfully kind person from all accounts. Mm-hmm. Um, well, except for Jennifer Gray, don't ask well, her. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, he was he was uh, demanding in that. Film, but this is our second course. Swayze film, right? That's true. Yeah, yeah. But um, but but genuinely, like a, a sort of a lovely person um, to work with. It looks a lot like George W. Bush, <laughs> which still gets me a little bit. Sure. Okay. Um, but but like he, you know, um, he was fantastic in this. Wesley Snipes was fantastic in this. Uh, I love John Leguizamo and everything. Right, right. Um, but but yeah, I mean, uh, the three leads, and I, I'm, I'm jumping ahead a little bit, but they're all presented in the, the opening um, montage slash, you know, drag show. Um, yeah, that's right. And I don't think that you're jumping ahead necessarily. I mean, this is, we're talking about the opening scene. So the opening scene, we are looking at um, Patrick Swayze and, you know, the three leads, as you mentioned, Patrick Swayze, Wesley Snipes, and John Leguizamo. And they are all starting out barefaced, no makeup. Swayze is looking at himself in the mirror. And as the scene progresses, it is a montage of the three of them putting on their characters for the entire movie. And you can see the transformation in the way that it was filmed and edited. Right. Which is so impressively done. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. No, they do. They do a fantastic job and and acted. It's the the Mm -hmm. acting of it is is so well done as well. Um, And so we are watching them all basically get prepared to perform in a drag competition. Yes, that's right. And that drag competition is held in New York City, the uh, oh Webster Hall. yeah, Yeah, in the village Webster Hall. We both saw it and and thought about our younger days when we were cool and lived in New York. Yeah. Up until like two years ago, Webster Hall was still independent and then it got bought by a major like conglomerate that runs a bunch of other places. Uh, and so, uh, yeah. 
you know, generally boo, but, but Hey, old school Webster hall. Amazing. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. So they go and they all perform, compete in this drag competition. Um, and this drag show itself at, which it was actually filmed inside Webster hall, um, is, uh, has, has quite a few different, uh, you know, uh, cameos yeah. or performances by famous people. The most notable of which is RuPaul. RuPaul, absolutely. And in a Confederate flag dress. Did you look anything up about that dress? Like, I didn't. Okay. I'm sorry about that. No, that's cool. No, that's cool. Uh, we can look it up real quick. No, you you go ahead and keep talking. I'll, I'll look it up while you do it. Yeah, and so we see the, everybody going through. They're having their competition. This this um, all of these just absolutely beautiful drag queens walking the runway and the entire event is emceed by uh by RuPaul and at the end of it when the winner is called you see John Leguizamo's character Chichi Rodriguez off to the side of the stage and by the way and we'll just I'm going to get this out here early but I'll probably comment it on it several times her makeup is terrible <laughs> yes it's so bad it's bad um but she has so much confidence in herself and she is like they're announcing the winner and she's walking forward as if she's going to win and they call that there are going to be two winners neither of them are her mm -hmm. um and instead it is noxima jackson who is played by wesley snipes amazing and, name and uh vita vita Bo boheme boheme yeah. i know that there's like a story behind that name but uh vita boheme who is played by Patrick Swayze. And those are the two co-winners. The winner winners of this competition get uh, full flight, uh, full expenses paid flights out to LA to compete in uh to compete in the Ms. you know, the the national drag competition. Yeah, in the, Hollywood. Yeah, that's right. The drag queen of America pageant in Hollywood. And you see. Chichi Rodriguez visibly upset. She leaves the stage. The thing I think is the funniest about the, about the way that she leaves the stage is, you know, she could have slunk away to the back yeah. and just like gone behind right. all of the the drag queens, the other drag queens that are on the stage, and instead she decides to like fall forward and run across the stage <laughs> in the front, and then have to go around, around all of them yeah, yeah. to get to the back of the stage where she leaves. It's just one of those moments that I just. Uh, hadn't caught before and I thought was was really funny. Yeah. Quick note on the dress. Yes. It, it was uh, intentionally supposed to be ironic. Okay. Uh, like a gay black man uh, and one of the most famous drag queens in the world wearing a dress that is the Confederate flag. Right. Is, in, is not intended to be an endorsement of the flag, but rather a like subversion of it. I and gotcha. so it's like, this is everything that you hate. And I am wrapped inside of your symbol. Right. And it was intended to be something that would, you know, be ironically funny, but also like take away from the power of that symbol. So right. that was the idea. Well, you know, and I, you know, I, I think that it's a good time to talk about that because this is, it's not the only thing that you see where the, the film itself is very much, um, conscious of mm -hmm. its own ironies. That's the, probably one of the first um, examples of it, but just the, the, the casting itself of Swayze and Snipes who are known for being these hyper masculine yeah, yeah. symbols, um, and, and, and like romantic leading roles are, is in itself a, you know, subversion of what you would expect and is something that was both intended to draw people to a film like this that would not have otherwise gone, but right. also, 
again, to sort of point out how you can take these ultra masculine figures right. and just completely flip it on its head. Yeah. There's also a point uh, in the movie later on where Wesley Snipes uh-huh. is playing basketball oh, yeah. <laughs> against like a women's team and just like pulls some like white men can't jump like moves out oh, of his yeah. bag and then just like, oh, that's, yep, okay. No, and that's it. exactly right, right? They are they they are fully aware of themselves. You know, the big things that that they are showing off is, um, again, consciousness of, of, of exactly how ironic this film is. Um, and then also just like, you know, high camp, tons and tons of camp, which I don't still have a full grasp on, even though what that means. <laughs> it was like the theme, even though it was like the, you know, the theme of the Met Gala a couple of years ago. And even then I was like, I don't think I get this. Yeah. Um, I, the, the whole film itself is trying to play up the camp, trying to play up, um, you know, the the irony that yeah. you get a, a, a lot of time in the at least at least in the first half that is true yeah and the um, performances of, yeah. of these characters i would also say for anyone who doesn't understand what camp is mm-hmm. watch john waters films you will understand based off of that almost exclusively okay. <laughs> um the the other thing i would say about um is, about this is shortly after we finished the movie or or maybe the next day actually we watched a episode of RuPaul's Drag Race, which yes. I had never seen the show before, mostly because I don't like competition reality shows, right? Um, and where people are mean to each other, it, yeah. it gives me um, anxiety, and I don't like people being catty and like talking behind people's backs and saying mean things about other people. So, yeah. like, we will watch um, Top Chef, but like the early seasons of Top Chef. We're, we're like, we're a bunch of like more salacious, much and more like, salacious, like behind the scenes cameras of people right. cheating on people and stuff. Mm-hmm. And it's like, it's I don't like, want to watch this anymore. You're like, no, 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 this is you're like, you're like, there was one season where that happened. And you're like, no, 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 don't worry about it. The next season, they, they figured it out. Right. They want to support everyone who's on the show. Okay. Point is, uh, <laughs> I, I don't like shows where they argue or, or are a caddy to each other. And the RuPaul's Drag Race, at least the episode we watched right. is very much like that. So I, I, I don't watch that show. However, we did watch an episode and I, I will say, like, the talent is undeniable. Like, right. You know, there's a, uh, quite a bit of, of um, people doing a lot of hard work to make their performances, you know, engaging. Right. Um, and, and I will say, like, I don't particularly like the high level of camp and, you know, noise. Like, it's, it's loud. It's, in, it's you know, vibrant and all that stuff. And I'm, I'm much more like... You like muted colors. I would and... like to sit in the back of a dark room <laughs> where I can barely experience anything at all and be quiet for about twelve minutes. Your like version, yeah, yeah, your version of a show that that we like is is very much like the played down, fun, yeah. nice, the the making it show. Yes, right. But I will say this: mm. growing up, I loved punk shows, mm-hmm. and so that's a very different kind of the same energy, right? Right. Or like drag can be very punk in its nature. And, and so, punk can be very campy. <laughs> that's Yes, and totally, right? So it's, it's about sort of framing in the right, right, right way. And I think there's a lot of that that happens in this movie where it's like, I may not necessarily feel like, oh, I'm going to go to a drag show in real life. However, you can watch this movie and be like, I connect to that regardless of my you know, preferences for what I go to see on a day-to-day show basis. So. Yeah, I mean, well, so what's interesting is when we're watching this film and we get this very early on from uh, from Wesley Snipes' character, Noxima Jackson, is there is this, the, the sniping. Yeah. Um, that you have in this, yeah. there, there is the sarcasm, the sardonic sort of, you know, wit that, that they have and the, the sort of cattiness between the characters, but most, mostly coming, I think from the Noxima Jackson character. Right. But it is counterbalanced, I think with 
Vita's character and Chi-Chi is very like aspirational and, and, and yeah, yeah, stands yeah. up for herself, but it's not like all three of them are constantly bickering with each other. Whereas right. in, you know, something like drag race, at least in this season, maybe it gets better later on. Cause a lot of, a, a, a lot of reality TV has tended to go that way. So yeah. I don't know, but um, at least in this season, uh, there was just a lot of sniping from all sides, including from the judges, just yeah. a lot of catty comments. And I think that like when the, it's coming from every single person and there's no genuinely nice person, it can, it can feel a little bit much, especially when we have been watching so many very right. like kind reality right. shows lately. Yeah. It's also, I think the cattiness in the movie was much more like, Oh, you don't quite understand what it means to be a drag queen. Chi Chi. Right. Let us inform you of the things that you need to understand. Right. And so there was some cattiness in that, but it was sort of in the nature of like, you know, you need to pay attention to us because we are the sort of standard bearers. Right. Um, whereas in the the reality show, it was like someone literally walked in and somebody was like, how old are you? And it's like, right. uh, that's unnecessarily mean. Like, just be cool. Just like, be cool. You don't have to be like that. Yeah. Man. yeah. And, and like in life, you don't have to be like that. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I. Absolutely. You know, I absolutely agree. One thing I want to mention, you, you know what other movie you, you thought of for this news story? Do you remember? Birdcage? Yeah. yeah. So we get... Speaking of the birdcage, in the very next scene after the competition is over, Noxima mm-hmm. Jackson and uh, and Vita Boehm, I'm just going to say it very quickly as if I know how to say it, and, uh, and Chichi Rodriguez go to a bar, and at this bar is a little-known actor by the name of Robin Williams. John Jacob Jingleheimer-Schmidt. Playing a character, John Jacob Jingleheimer-Schmidt. Um, and he's just, you know, he's just fantastic. And yeah. I miss him. I know. He, it's so funny. Like, there's, n- I, this is a movie where you can get away with with that, with naming a fucking character, John Jacob Jingleheimer-Schmidt. And then... Uh, like, I think it was uh, Noxima. It was like, his name is my name too. Right. <laughs> and I was like, this is ridiculous. And I love every moment of it. Yes. It was, yes. It's so goofy and it was great. Yeah, absolutely. So it's interesting that Robin Williams was in this and he was actually, um, he played a big part of how the film came to be. Okay. So he, well, so the, the, the writer of this film, Douglas Carter Bean is actually a playwright. Okay. He has written like one or two other films. I could see that based off the second half of the film. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I mean, if you think about the way that the, the, the film generally, aside from the fact that it like, it travels all the way across the country, but you can still do that on stage. Right. Sure, sure, sure. Um, but the, the way that the film progresses, it, it, if you think about it, it's like, oh, it makes sense that this would actually be it, it's structured as like a two act play or something like that. Yeah, right. Yeah. Very much. Um, and, and so it, it does make a lot of sense that, that it was originally a play, but um, Bean said that he didn't think that the car being on stage was going to be like very realistic or would be very easy to pull off. Sure. Um, and he, he's written, a, he's actually written a lot of plays, not, I think a lot of stuff for Broadway, but a lot of off Broadway stuff. And he's, he's, you know, very, fairly prolific. Um, but, but this was, Something that made its way eventually to um, a gentleman by the name of Mitch Cohn, who is a development executive at Amblin Entertainment. Okay. Spielberg's production house. That's right. And so Cohn passed the script along to Spielberg and he loved it. And in fact, I guess 
Steven Spielberg and Robin Williams were on a plane together. Of course, as you are. Yeah, flying on a plane together. And Robin Williams did a cold read of the script, of the entire script for Spielberg on this flight. (laughs) I love it. And I guess Spielberg was so like, I'm trying to go to sleep. Please, <laughs> Robin, just I stop talking. I would have like, loved to be a <laughs> I mean, fly on this yeah. wall. Like, what if you could just have Tu Wong Fu performed as a one-man play <laughs> by Robin Williams on a private jet sitting next to Steven Spielberg? I mean... What, I, a, what an event. What an event. What uh, a mundane event for Spielberg, yeah. maybe, but like... No, no. He, <laughs> man... Did I, I don't know if I've mentioned on this podcast, I probably have every single time his name has come up, but I, huh. met, him, I met him at a screening of Lincoln, uh, Steven Spielberg. Okay. Very briefly. Um, just the nicest dude. Yeah. Just the nicest. He, he walks down the stairs, you know, 30 minutes before the movie's about to start, goes around to every single person in the room, one by one, shakes their hand, talks to them, glad hands like, and then very kindly says, okay, very nice to meet you. Uh, please enjoy the movie. And literally like the, when he shakes your hand and like walks onto the next group of people, mm-hmm. that's your signal to go in and take your seat. I just saw, I saw it happen to every single person in the room and me and, and my buddy Julius were like the last sort of group of people that he went to talk to. Yeah. And, and he had to be exhausted from talking to everyone in that room, but he was just so kind and, and wonderful and I, I told him like Raiders was my favorite film. It's why I got into like filmmaking in, in film school. And he was like, "Well, that's that's so nice of you to say. That movie means a lot to me too." And um, you know, we put so much work into it. I'm glad that it meant something to you. And and, uh, and it was just wonderful. Just a nice was, dude. Just who a didn't really have great to be guy. nice. He didn't have to be, but he was so sweet. Yeah. Um. So I can imagine him sitting there watching Robin Williams. And even if he had to like get up and go pee, he was like, "Keep going, Robin. I'll, I'll hold it." <laughs> well, he, they, they said that he was mesmerized, or he said that he was mesmerized yeah. by the performance, and I could 100 percent see yeah. it. So this absolutely convinced him to do it. And apparently they shopped this script around to quite a few male directors okay. who passed on it. And that's not a surprise. Yeah. Yeah. And the, the person who actually ended up taking it is a British woman by the name of Biban Kedron. Okay. And um, she was very pregnant <laughs> during the filming of this. And in fact, she was so pregnant during the filming of it that she gave birth to her first child uh, on the last day of filming. Oh my God. <laughs> Holy shit. And um, he- Academy Award for best picture goes to that lady because damn. Yeah. Damn. Well, he's uh, he's listed in the, the film crew credits as best baby. <laughs> I love it. Which is a play on the word- on Best the, boy. The, yeah, yeah the, the, the name best boy. What's a best boy? Uh, best boy is part of your electrical staff. So you have your gaffer um, who is in charge of all of your electrical wiring. Mm-hmm. typically reports to your uh, cinematographer. So a cinematographer says, oh, we need this light over here. We need that light over there. I want it to look like this. Gaffer goes out and does it. Best boy assists the their, um, the gaffer. Ah, okay. All right. Well, so uh, Robin Williams uh, was, was very much involved with it from the very beginning. He had actually considered, w- was considered, had been in talks to maybe play the part of the role of Vita. However, um, the the he he passed on it and there were a couple of different reasons why people said that he passed um one was that he didn't want to take um too much steal too much of the like the the movie to focus on himself which i could see another one was just practically like he he just thought his arms were too hairy hairy. yeah yeah i think that's very hairy exactly what i think he's he's a little short little hairy and so how 
uncomfortable would it be for him to shave his arms, shave or wax yeah. enough of his body to play this? Yeah. Like Steve Carell in 40 year old virgin. That, just, yeah. just that is commitment. Yeah. Right. That yeah. is, that is, that would have been absolute commitment. And it's also, it, I think, I think it works better with Swayze because Swayze is so tall. Yeah. Robin Williams is quite short. And so when they show up to this town later on in the movie mm-hmm. and it's all these like roughneck dudes but Swayze is just like a foot and a half taller than everyone else. Right. It's, it's an interesting look. Right. And and so uh, instead he he decided yeah. to have this sort of cameo appearance that was actually uncredited in the oh, film. Interesting. Yeah. Um, although this did come out um, also like, a, I mean, just on the heels of Mrs. Doubtfire. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then the year before The Birdcage. Okay. So, you know, it's just. It, in his run of like. Yeah. Super movie star. Yeah. Absolutely. And. Okay. and um. And so it, it, it was a shock for us to see him. Yeah. I sort of, I, again, had just kind of forgotten. Um, but I uh, think he showed up and you, me and my mom who were all watching this time, you're like, Hey, right. Well, it's especially like friend just shows up because yeah. he wasn't in the opening credits. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, can I, I mentioned one thing from the scene yeah. that, um, it was a background line that was said by Wesley Snipes. Okay. When, so they were, they had two round trip tickets to LA that they won as part of the competition for uh, to go to Hollywood and then do their their national competition, mm-hmm. but they decided they wanted to bring Chi Chi. They didn't have the money to have another plane ticket, so they traded in two plane tickets with Robin Williams to get some other way of transportation. Couldn't afford a, a train. Nagzima said, "I'm not doing a bus," so he said, "Go talk to my friend at a car lot, and then you can drive a car." And Nagzima says, I don't know if you've ever seen this America place, but they don't take kindly to us. <laughs> and I feel like that's a touch point for our news story and, and very accurately stated, right? Like you have New York, you have LA, those places will be fine. Everything in the middle is danger. Yeah. And I mean, you, you feel this very palpably at moments as they're driving through and we'll get to them. But the the as I mentioned at the start of the show, or um, at the start of the segment, this was actually the writer Douglas Carter Bean's uh, reaction or inspiration from this anti-propaganda film called The Gay Agenda. Oh, Jesus. And he he was quoted as saying that we're hoping Americans wouldn't see a movie about three drag queens. Who would who wouldn't see a movie about three drag queens would go because it's Wesley Snipes and Patrick was Wesley and Patrick. Um, and he was saying that our dream is that people will change how they think when they see this movie, despite themselves, they're going to fall in love with these guys. And I think it's, you know, it feels a little pie in the sky to say something like that. But if you think about what was happening in cinema and pop culture in the nineties and the two thousands and where the, the, the general sentiment surrounding LGBTQ issues Mm -hmm. has shifted where it started and where it has come um it's not wrong there is no shift in american consciousness that has happened faster than the acceptance of gay marriage for instance right like you can look at the acceptance of interracial marriage the acceptance of civil rights the acceptance of whatever and it's a slow long crawl every poll that's taken every year that asks the same questions about this stuff shows incremental change over time in the 90s, the acceptance for gay marriage went from like 25% to like 65% in the matter of a decade. That's yeah. insanely fast. Yeah. 
Um, and so, yeah, I mean, I don't know if it's true for every case. I don't even know if it's like so much that the public consciousness was changed by media or if it was just like all of a sudden everybody had a bunch of gay family members that came out and said, hey, I'm gay. You didn't know this. And so all of a sudden we start to accept the people that we see in our lives. I think it's a little bit of both. And, right? and maybe all of the above. Exactly. But it, it, it certainly doesn't hurt. It certainly, right. it certainly is part of it. Right. Well, you don't all of a sudden find out that like this person that has been a family member that you've loved forever is black. Right. <laughs> it's true. Yeah. Right. That's not, that's not a thing that they're like, yeah. I have something I have to tell you. Yeah. Right. I, I, I did just watch devil in a blue dress where one of the characters is, is white passing. And then at the end of the movie, the reveal is like, and really I'm half black and no one knows. And I'm like, girl, <laughs> anyone who watches the movie knows, but anyway, sure. So. I, yeah, but I mean, it's, but, but there were all a lot of Americans who suddenly discovered or realized that there were people in their lives who they love very much and were maybe not willing to vilify or, yeah. or cast out of their lives yeah. um, were, were gay or, or, you know, trans or whatever. And, well, and I think that that's a big part of it, but I do also think that, that, movies and television shows that were constantly trying to push the envelope like this one, like the Ellen show, yeah. Will and Grace are also a huge part of why that consciousness was able to shift. I think it's true. Yeah. And, and, uh, there was a point in the movie, even when they got on the car and started driving, right. they, the first sort of stop, I guess, um, was at Vita's house. Where, yes. Where, where, that's right. Uh, she grew up. And, uh, I think Chi Chi asks, you know, why, why did you give up all of this? And the, the response was Vita gave all this up to be Vita. That's right. And it was, I had to get away from this place because I couldn't be the person I was if I was here. And, and I think we're led to believe it was the mom who comes out of the door. Yeah. That's our, sees, that's what we're supposed to assume. Yeah. Sees Vita and then runs back inside and the look on, on Patrick Swayze's face acting that scene is amazing. It's like heartbreak, yes. but resilience. Right. And then, you see it off. all in all in her face yeah. in in just you know a couple of different instances and, yeah. and and then just determination to to keep on moving with whatever you know it took her to leave in the first place. Yeah, uh, yeah, and so yes, we are on the road. They are passing through some small town, I guess um, that, that Vita grew up in on their way to California. We missed one quick part, which is where they purchased the car. Um, oh, and they were like, uh, should we go with the, you know, very like reliable Corolla. Yeah. yeah, Corolla. They traded in their plane tickets. They got enough money to buy a car. They were, they could have gone with something reliable, but they instead chose the fancy old fashioned car because, uh, they wanted to go style. for style over substance. Yeah. And right? it's a convertible. I mean, honestly, if you're driving across country, you actually probably do get some value out of being able to stretch your arms out in a convertible. Sure. Yeah. Well, they, you know, they, they take that and then they do, they pass through, um, they pass through New York and they are going, uh, through, um, as we mentioned, Vita's hometown. And then they find themselves, um, in a hotel, uh, no hotel hotel or yeah. just a, a hotel that actually turns out to be much nicer on the inside right. than when, what we're led to believe is they're walking up and they go inside and they're met by the maitre d' and he was, He's, he's actually very nice to them. Yeah, they, to which they're surprised. <laughs> to which they're surprised until they find out that there is a basketball, a ladies basketball convention or it's tournament like your friends happening. are here. Yeah. And they're like, our friends? <laughs> and, yeah. and then we have that scene that you had mentioned before where Wesley Snipes um, as Noxima Jackson is um, playing pickup basketball with yeah. them. I mean, I assume pickup basketball since yeah. they're certainly not on the, the schedule. Yeah. So uh, White Man Can't Jump came out in 92, I think. And so this was a, a few years after. Right. But like Wesley Snipes had that like 
notoriety from that movie, which was quite successful. And then to play off of that was very, very well done. It was, it was a nice little moment. Yeah. And it was 92. Okay. All right. Yeah. And so they have that nice little moment again, where they're just being very, very like self-aware and just like sort of very tongue in cheek. Um, and they hit the road, continue on their drive and they are pulled over in the middle of nowhere, mm-hmm. in the middle of the country by a sheriff. Yeah. Sheriff Dullard. Dullard. It's an O. <laughs> Which is just like a silly running joke yeah. that his- Your badge his, says you. It's a misprint. Yeah, it's a misprint <laughs> and it got you every single yeah. time. And the sheriff pulls Vita out of the car and attempts to sexually assault or rape her yeah. um, on the side of the road. And Patrick's, uh, Patrick Swayze, <laughs> yeah, Patrick Swayze, um, reaches up her dress. Right. Um, and, and so Patrick Swayze actually said that, um, the reaction there was real <laughs> because before the scene, he didn't tell the actor, um, who's playing Dullard this, but he, he stuck a corn cob <laughs> under his dress. <laughs> Do you know who the actor was playing Dullard? Um, remind me. Chris Penn. Yes, so Sean yeah. Penn's brother, who is uh, deceased, unfortunately, but mm. he 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 plays like the slimy dude quite well. Yeah. You know what else he's in? Yes. What? what? No, I'm sorry. I'm saying yes. Tell me. Two two films that were seminal in in my movie going experiences as a kid: mm. Reservoir Dogs mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and Rush Hour. Yeah, he's been in a lot, and I do obviously like recognize him. Yeah. from from things, but um, I have not watched Reservoir Dogs uh, nearly. I mean, okay, I've started it a lot, but I always <laughs> fall asleep, and then um rush hour i think i've seen like once <laughs> yeah yeah it's fair it's fair so uh sheriff dullard finds a surprise patrick swayze vita uh defends herself mm-hmm. punches the guy not, knocks not him, hard yeah, knocks, him him hard, yeah. knocks him down knocks him out they think that he is dead yep so they peace out and they leave and then their car breaks down because again it's just this old cadillac uh, breaks down in the middle of nowhere and Chi-Chi who is younger than the other two and has been more bold and less scared yeah. this uh, this road trip so far decides to go off and find help and she is picked up by uh, by Bobby Ray Young who, man in a pickup truck yep. That's right. They continue to uh, the town of Snydersville where they are hoping to get help and have their car towed and then also have a place to stay for the night. Yeah. So they stay in this little bed and breakfast, which is owned by Carol Ann and her husband, Virgil. Carol Ann played by Stalker Channing. That's right. Yeah. That's right. Uh, she's in a bunch of stuff. I think she's in what, the West Wing. She is. She yeah. plays uh, She plays the president's wife in the yep. West Wing. Yep. Um, but also she was in Greece. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So quite, Stalker, quite the career. Yeah. Stalker Channing. Fantastic. Her husband, Virgil, who, mm-hmm. yeah, uh-huh. um, and in the morning, Virgil, like they're thinking they're just going to stay there for the night and then have their car fixed in the morning. Um, in the morning, Virgil looks under the hood, says that he could fix it in five minutes if he has the part. And so there's the turn for why they stay in this small town for a couple days, <laughs> for a couple of days. So here's the thing that I appreciated. Um, there was a really nice moment or not nice, but like it was a very funny scene when they get into the hotel or the bed and breakfast mm-hmm. where they're like, um, Noxima is like, is, can we get a nicer room? And she's like, <laughs> this is the presidential suite. And Chi Chi goes, must've been one of the bad presidents. It's <laughs> a great line. Yeah. And then Noxima sits down on the bed and she's like, I think the last black person to stay at this hotel was Sam cook. 
which is an allusion to the fact that Sam Cooke was murdered at a hotel right. um, when he stayed in one uh, for reasons that we could get into at a different podcast. But Right, right. Uh, yeah, no, there, there's so much funny, there's so many funny lines in this yes. film. It's very quippy, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And there was a lot, I guess there was a lot of like improv oh, um, yeah. on the part of a couple of other people. So um, uh, Leguizamo actually said in his book that, that Patrick Swayze was so... Um, annoyed or like upset by how much uh, Leguizamo was improving that he, improvising that um, he like threatened to like punch him or something like that. <laughs> Fair enough. Yeah. I mean, uh, Leguizamo is very much that kind of dude who's like, Oh, I have a funny, especially this time in his career. Right? Mm-hmm. Like he was like, Oh, I'm the funny guy who does like the, the comedy shows. So I'm just trying to throw in some stuff. That's funny. Right. Right. Yeah. And uh, so, so they stay in the town and they go and they meet a lot of the the townspeople. They are harassed by um, groups of random rednecks. Yeah, it is a little strange that yeah. there are like maybe 25 people in this town total. Right. And about seven of them are young rapists. <laughs> it's super weird that the high proportion of young boys who are just like menacing. Yeah. And, and everybody's and, fine with it. So I think the idea that you have like this group of like country people who are sort of like to to borrow a word from earlier, dullards mm-hmm. <laughs> and and rapists right. is like not a I mean, it's not supposed to be an accurate representation of like the country, but I think it like doesn't do any favors to like the idea that like these liberal elites view look down on on country folk. Right. And 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 I think that you already get that with like the way the Virgil character is presented, which is like, he's a guy who runs his own business. They have a bed and breakfast, but he's also an abuser and like a, a bad person to his wife. Like you get enough of that context with that as, and you don't necessarily need to have like seven dudes surrounding Chi Chi threatening her with like physical violence. Right. Right. Well, and, and I think that the only reason that you have that really at this point is so that Bobby Ray can swoop in, in his truck and yeah. save her and bring her off. And there's a little bit of like a romantic interest that we have there. Yeah. Um, you know, the, the townspeople reveal that there is the strawberry social that's going to be happening this weekend. Um, the, the three ladies find out that they have to be there through the weekend. And so they're just going to be there for the strawberry yeah. social. And they are basically committing to help the town out with this event. There's so much that happens in these like two days. <laughs> I know I, you know what? And I really like we were watching and I, I had remembered that in, in my mind, they were there for much longer, like months or something like that. Right. Yeah, like yeah, yeah. weeks. And I was like, they're there for two days. Well, and they also, they do have a nice montage of them, like, dressing up the room. Right. Which is, like, somewhat magical in the way it's presented. Like, yes. they throw something on the wall and just, like, sticks and looks perfect. And I'm just like, okay, so we're we're playing with the construct here. We're not, and, and it goes back to it being a play, right? Right. It's like, you can take some steps in here to advance time in a way that you wouldn't normally do in a movie because, like, you just only have so much time to work with. And so, if the first act is... How are we going to get on the road? The second act is we end up in this town and here's the conflict. Right. And I think that they're also playing up the idea that like they have this like little bit of like extra magic, you know, yeah, to yeah. them. And in fact, like there's a scene at the very end where the three of them um, are being helped out by the townspeople and they're up in a balcony. 
Yeah. And they are wearing colors that are supposed to be sort of representative of the three fairies from Sleeping Beauty. Yeah. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah. Okay. Um, that's cool. And and so they are going to help out with the Strawberry Social. They are helping the women have makeovers. They find the town salon. They find the one store that sells clothing. And in the back of the clothing shop, there is a box of clothes from the 60s. Yep. And they all makeover. dress fabulously, have makeovers. <laughs> um, and... And then they decide to help out the people as much as they can as well, including yep. Vita helping out Carol Ann. Yeah. And with how her. does Vita help first and foremost? What does she add to the sauce? Oh, paprika. She puts some spice in the it's sauce. It's literally paprika. Yeah. And then uh, what does Carol Ann say? She says, we don't use spice here. Yes. <laughs> because her husband is, again, the worst. And like, by the way, like as a white dude, I tend to come in contact with a lot of other white dudes just mm. by nature of how our world is constructed. Right. And I am consistently disappointed by these people. Right. Like I've been to a bachelor party where like a dude just openly admitted he doesn't eat vegetables. Like, well then I'm sorry for your colon, bro. Like, I don't know what to tell you. You need like, spices. You're going to die at vegetables. 50. Like, and yeah, you you have to eat vegetables. You have to spice your food. Like, you know why you don't like vegetables? Cause you don't put any salt on them. You don't put butter on them. Like things taste good when you put flavor on them. You dummy. And so this guy is just like very much like the he is milk toast as a human being and also abusive. He's just like the worst of every just the absolute yeah, worst every version of a person. And so you know, Vita steps in at a point and uh protects Carol Ann. And Virgil says, Well, some women need to be hit. And so Vita says, Well, then some some men need to be hit yep. back. Yep. And defends Carol Ann and Virgil goes off to lick his wounds at a bar where we also find the sulking Sheriff Dullard. Sheriff holding onto Dullard, a shoe. Yeah. Holding onto a shoe after all of his colleagues have made fun of him for getting beat up by a girl. Yeah. And they have a conversation and realize that their foes are the same people. Yep. Yeah. And they go back to the town to try and find them. They call for the townsfolk to, to reveal who the drag queens are. Right. And uh, the townspeople band together and all say, you know, I am the drag queen. Right. I, it is me. I am Spartacus. Right. Yeah. And, so, uh, and and happy ending. There, there are two things to mention. Yes. Uh, before uh, Dullard ones, winds up meeting uh, Virgil, the police are walking around with uh, like in all these different places uh, to look for uh, Vita right. and Noxima and Chichi. And they just have a list. And on the top of the list is, places for hobos right and it's just like they go to a ballet class they go to like a i forget what the other places were that they look but it's just like the most stereotypical stuff in the world mm -hmm. and it's it is illustrative of how stupid these people are like it, right. it is really clear it's like oh they have just stereotyped and so therefore they assume that you can't exist outside of this world that they've constructed for you right the other thing that was interesting was there there was a sort of subplot of Chi Chi mm -hmm. and Bobby what, Bobby Ray, Ray yeah. like having a little romance, but then there's also Bobby Lee, right, who who's is a, a girl. girl in the town, falling for Bobby Ray and like them, whatever. And so, I Chi Chi's not wrong because she's like, because Vita is like, leave this boy alone. You're gonna get out of here. You're not gonna be a part of this town anymore. Don't like ruin his life, right? And Chi Chi's not wrong when she says. Like, you're just an old white lady telling people what to do. And you're bossing around a black person. You're bossing around a Latina. Mm -hmm. Like, stop it. 
Mm-hmm. And and so that's not wrong. And I appreciated that moment of it. But I feel like they probably could have left the that other most of that part to the side. Like I didn't really care about that at all. I mean, I think it's actually kind of like so so there's a, a lot of you know, looking back at this film through the eyes of, you know, where we have come from where it yeah. was. And and there is um there there is a lot to be said about how there is a lack of nuance in in language and the way that they talk about um, you know, being trans versus being a drag yeah, right transvestite versus transsexual versus drag queen yeah right but i will say it is very poignant and on the nose especially you know for for a writer to put in something about how there are still even within this community that is uh, oppressed yeah. there um there is still other power dynamics that go on within that right true, but true. based based on race and and i i think that is it's 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 interesting to yeah. see even then that they were able to to touch on that even a little bit. I, I agree with you a hundred percent. I just think that I I would have liked to have seen that maybe without like the what seemed like an extraneous love triangle that it was like shoehorned into the last like thirty minutes. <laughs> you know. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but but you know whatever. It's a minor minor quibble. Sure, but I think you also just needed to see the growth of Chi Chi. That's true. That is true. Yep. You're you know, right. you're right. She she decides that it's not she doesn't want to to trick this boy into to being with her. And she decides that it's it's also to be the bigger person and yeah. to let Bobby Lee have her. And and I think that that's the, the real growth yeah. moment for her and uh before she become you know, finishes her four steps to being a drag queen <laughs> instead yeah. of a drag princess and goes on to uh to LA where the final scene. Uh, they make it to LA and Chi Chi ends up winning the title of drag queen of the year and yep. is presented the crown by Julie Newmark. There you go. Nice little, nice little ending. The, uh, there, there's one thing I want to mention about personal growth. Mm-hmm. So when, uh, Vita is aiming to stand up for Caroline or well, Carolyn, Carol Ann, Carol Ann, um, a lot of hyphen names know, in this town. And so Vita's like, we have to help. Uh, Noxima says this, there are times that you help people and times where you help people and you get killed. Right. So you don't help people. Yeah. But then what does, v- what does Noxima end up doing? She stands up to uh, those those rapists, right. dudes, grabs one of them by the, the junk and like pulls him forward and makes him apologize to the women of the town. Mm-hmm. And then that like, you know, fixes their bad behavior. You know, it's like, it's a little reductive, of course, but, um, you know, it shows growth in that character. It's like, if I have to stand up and make you act in a certain way to respect not only me, but the people I care about, I will do it. Whereas uh, entering into the town, that's not a thing that Nexim was willing to do. Right. Um, And then the other thing was um, Carol Ann saying, and this is probably a fairly well-known quote from the film, which is, I know that I'm very fortunate to have a lady friend who has an Adam's apple, mm-hmm. which is like, Caroline's not uh, obtuse. She's not ignorant of what's happening. She's not ignorant of what's going on, right. but she just knows that Vita is a wonderful person who cares about her, just a woman with an Adam's apple, and that's all. So yeah. it's, a, it's, a, it's a, a kind way to make that point. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it also does, again, sort of speak to what I was talking about before, where there is a little bit of um, a conflation of trans versus gay versus drag right right and and even even when they talk when the, when Noxima Jackson describes you know what that means um earlier on in the 
earlier on in the film, you know, she, she basically says, you know, when a straight man puts on a dress and gets his sexual kicks, uh, he is a transvestite when a man, and, and we don't say transvestite anymore, right? you know, um, I guess maybe we do. Is there, I have no idea. Yeah, that's but, still a preferred nomenclature. Yeah, but they say that when a tr- when a, a man is a woman trapped in when a man is a woman trapped in a man's body and has a little operation, he is a transsexual. And we, we certainly don't use the the phrase transsexual anymore. Right. It's transgender, and you don't necessarily have to have an operation in order right. to do that. And there's a lot more nuance to what it means to be transgender. Um, and then when a gay man has way too much fashion sense for one gender, he is a drag queen. Yeah. And it's it's interesting because this was that's the the kind of language that we had to describe and that's the way that you could really describe it I think for mainstream audiences in a in a quick way early on in the film. Right. Um and and a lot has happened but there's also sort of this uh, conflation between what it means to be drag a, a drag queen versus trans, right? They stay in their um drag the entire time yeah. and that's on purpose, yeah. right? But if you're a drag queen you don't actually do that. Well, and, it's a and, lot. Yeah, and so when we watched RuPaul's Drag Race, right, in performance they were in drag, but in interviews, right, they were just in street clothes. That's right, and they yeah. and they say you know they are. I mean, you assume that mostly gay, probably almost all gay. Yeah, uh, men who male identifying, yeah, yeah, who just like the performance of it as opposed to believing or feeling like this is who I am. Right. It is a character that that is performed. That's right. Right. And and so there's a little bit of a blurring of those lines, right? They use exclusively feminine pronouns. Um when Vita's wig is ripped off at one point, uh she she looks like, you know, she has just been like exposed. Right. right. And so this is something that is 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 it's just interesting to see how things have evolved from this where we we really just had are you straight or are you queer right, right, right and right. it's all just one bucket and there have we have had the space and the conversations to be able to start to parse out the differences and the language that has evolved to describe those differences yeah. with over the past 2 or 3 decades yeah yeah it is very interesting and i also think it becomes part of the the language that um, is becoming more commonplace. So as much as like, and, and we can get back to the news story a little bit with this, but as much as the right wing of our politics is so disgusted by people choosing their own pronouns and how they talk about themselves, like it's become an accepted practice for most of America mm-hmm. to just at least ask people like, hey, like you seem like you may not want to use the pronouns you were assigned at birth. Like, what do you, what do you feel like being called? And then people tell you and it's fine. Like, and it's like not something you really have to give give two shits about after that. It's like someone tells you the answer, so you don't have to take a quiz on it. Like that's it. You just get to know. People just tell you. And so it seems like we as a society have largely moved past a lot of the a lot areas. Of people. Not all well, people. not all people, but I mean like in most of the people I deal with on a regular basis. Anyway. Right, right. Um, the one thing that I think is is really interesting is so many of these like right wing lunatics like the lady in question from Moore County and, mm. and a lot of the people who are attacking uh, queer folks all across the country is they claim all of this fealty to the constitution, right? The right to free speech, mm-hmm. you know, but what is drag if not free speech to be able to say and be the person you want to be in a moment of celebration, of revelry, of, of performance. Um, 
free for me. But it's it, that's exactly it. It's like I don't actually want freedom of speech. I want my freedom of speech, which is me telling you, you have to adopt these Christian beliefs. You have to perform these Christian rituals. You have to maintain Christian theology. Um, And that's evidenced in the movie when Chris Penn says, uh, when the founders wrote liberty and justice for all, they didn't mean this. I'm like, no, they they, they may not have. They mean a lot of things. But I actually don't give a shit what they meant because they also wrote that black people were three-fifths of a human. So then kiss my ass. Uh, we can decide what it means to have freedom and liberty. All right, let's uh, before we wrap this up, let's get into some of the reviews and receptions. Yes. Uh, so Metacritic has this at 60% based on 24 critic reviews. So it's like a mixed or average review. Um, Cinescore has the audience, though, at, gave it a B plus. Okay. And I think as you sort of see this a lot, it is mixed in its critical review, but audiences tend to really like it. The tomato meter... Uh-huh. Um, has it at 43%. On the on the critics reviews. Yeah. Okay. For, with 42 what reviews. The audience? audience score has it at 71% with yeah. 50,000 okay. ratings. So it's it is a it it is a film that has a, I don't know if cult following is quite right, but like I think people that's right, yeah. you know, people people really like it a lot more than the critics yeah. do. Um, although, you know, uh, the, the, um, the acting was, was very much still roundly applauded yeah. by critics. I mean, I could see why critics might not like it because like, oh, it doesn't follow like a typical structure or like it, you know, there's some elements that seem shoehorned in or whatever, right. but like it's still largely an enjoyable film to watch. So like, hush, yeah. hush yes. y'all. <laughs> yes, absolutely. And in fact, Swayze and Legazama were both nominated for Golden Globes in 1996 as a uh, best actor and supporting actor oh, respectively. Awesome. Okay, good. Yeah, absolutely. Um, some random stuff. Uh, would you like to know who Wang Fu is? Sure. Um, Wang Fu, aka Fui, um, was the head bartender at the China Bowl restaurant in New York, which is on like 152 West 44th Street, um, on East Broadway. And, uh, that is the restaurant where there was an autographed picture by Julie Newmar. And I guess um, the the writer Bean saw that, and that's where he came up with the title for the film. Nice. Yeah. Uh, the advertisers wanted to change the title of the film to something shorter. They wanted to call it "The Ladies' Night" or "She's a Lady." Neither of those are good. No, they managed <laughs> to keep the they managed to keep it um, keep it as the the longer title. Yeah. So, um, so yeah. So, uh, so dying to hear. Uh, recommend yes no yeah definitely like again i think it sort of um maybe falls off a little bit at the second half maybe second like yeah like last third of the movie or something because it becomes actually more traditional Mm -hmm. um in terms of the storytelling elements and i think like what they're asked to accomplish in two days where they change the bigotry of an entire town and you know run out the police officer and virgil's like maybe like respecting his wife now is like that shit doesn't happen in two days it just seems very like you know produced uh but like everything leading up to that is really fantastic the Mm -hmm. the writing and the dialogue is great the acting and performances are amazing um there's really fun surprising stuff that does happen in the film like again like when they're decorating the room and they're just like throwing stuff around and it magically adheres to the wall like i wasn't expecting it to take sort of that like that that turn and i'm like oh that's really cool so I think it's a ballsy, no pun intended, uh, film. Mm. And I, I think that, uh, yeah, by, by all means, I would recommend it. It's, it's really good. Yeah. I mean, I, I obviously do recommend it. I, I 
love this film. I love the the actors. Um, and I think that it's actually nice to have something that's more traditional when you have an LGBTQ plus film where you get to have happy ending. You don't have sure, to yeah. revel in trauma. You that's know, true. there yeah. is a lot of like negativity that sort of we we are there for a second and then we just keep on moving. Right. right and right. and I think that there is something nice about a film where um where it, you can have kind of bad or or you know endings that don't feel quite real in a lot of straight films and you get to also have one here and it's yeah. it's a, just a nice like feel good film that also happens to be about uh drag queens right yeah i think that's a, a fair point yeah it's 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 fun it's uh very enjoyable it's like you're not uh worried about like you're you're not overly worried about the characters and like putting them putting them in like mortal danger right you're actually saying like oh i i understand that this place is not kind to them right however i the way that this film is produced created directed i don't think that they're going to die <laughs> like right yeah right exactly exactly all right cool well we did it that's that's uh that's the movie that's the the news uh Thank you, everyone, for listening. Apologies for the way my voice sounds by this point of the night, but uh, please remember to rate, review, and subscribe. Uh, I, I may sound better next week. We'll see how it goes. Uh, I may be dead. <laughs> Just you know, stay tuned to find out. Yeah, we will We'll see how Forrest is doing next week. Um, but in the meanwhile, you can, if you haven't done so already, um, follow us on Twitter. We are at The Crosscut or Instagram. We are at The Crosscut Pod. And uh, yeah, have a great rest of your weekend. We will talk to you next week. Yeah, we'll see you right before Christmas, everybody. Bye. Right, bye. Bye.